The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told them, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine, without knowing where it came from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first. And when, and then when, people have drunk freely, an inferior one. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee, and so revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Uh, praise God. It's good to be back with you. As many of you know, I was away on retreats all the way in Tallahassee, Florida. So if I have an accent, if I have a southern accent, uh, excuse me. So, uh, but it was, it was a great trip. It was a powerful retreat. And I hope to still praying about the graces that God bestowed and broke through. And so I'm still trying to unravel all of that. So I hope to share as, as the weeks go on. But it was a powerful retreat. And thank God uh, I, made all my re- I made my flights. Because you know when you fly across country, there's a lot of bunch of connecting flights. And as you know, if you've been paying attention to the news, thousands of flights are being canceled everywhere. And so I was worried. So I flew from Reno, then to Atlanta, then from Atlanta to Tallahassee. But I was delayed in Reno for three hours before we took off. So I was like, oh, Lord, am I going to make my Atlanta flight? Because they, according to the captain, they don't have enough baggage handlers at the airport. And so they can't load in time. And so it takes forever to load. I said, oh, gosh, Lord, what am I going to do? So by the time I landed in Atlanta, I had 20 minutes to get from my gate to my other flight. And if you've ever been to Atlanta before, it's a massive airport. And so I said, oh, Lord, uh, in your providence, I pray that my gate is just like right next to my gate that I, that I depart from was on the other side of the airport. And so I was that guy sprinting through the airport. Huh? I, was, I always wear my cassock, by the way, when I travel. And so here I was, I, was, I was a black blur just running through the airport. And when you try to run through the airport with the, with, with the carry-on luggage, it's not, you're not very graceful. Knocked out a couple kids on my way out, but it was worth it. And I apologize, so don't worry. Let's get into these readings. These are powerful, powerful readings today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
There's a principle whenever we read the scriptures that we always must apply. And especially when it comes to Jesus. Whenever you hear anything that Jesus says at any place, whatever he does, we must always ask ourselves, Jesus, why? There is nothing random if, with everything that Jesus does. There is absolutely nothing random about it. And so, apply this principle. Whenever, again, whenever you encounter Jesus in the Bible, always ask yourself, Jesus, what are you up to? Here he is in the gospel. He's at the city of Cana. He's at a wedding reception. By the way, if you go to Israel today, we know where this happened. Cana is still, it's a real city. People still live there. It's a regular city in Israel. And we know the spot where this happened because guess, if you go there today in Cana, guess what is on top of that spot? There's a Catholic church on top of it. And when you go on a tour of the church, and it was beautiful too, married couples could actually renew your wedding vows there. It's a beautiful sight. Many, many pilgrims will do that on the side of the side where this happened. And they actually have excavations there. They, they, they've dug up and you could see the foundation stones of the structures that were there before 2,000 years ago. And you can tour it around and walk around. And we know where this happened. And so with the principle that I, laid, that I just laid out for you, let us ask Jesus. Jesus, why? What are you doing here? His first public miracle occurs here at this wedding reception. We get a clue now in the first reading. The first reading today from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah written centuries before. Speaking now to all of humanity. Listen what God says. You shall be called my delight and your land espoused. For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall God rejoice in you. You see what's happening here? God wants to marry humanity. This image of a wedding is all throughout sacred scripture. It is a through line from the very beginning of Adam and Eve. Because we must ask ourselves again, what happened in Genesis? What went wrong there? What happened in Genesis, what was ruptured and disfigured was our relationship with God. It broke down the moment Adam and Eve fell. Our relationship with God now was disfigured. The family of God was was, was, was it's torn apart. And so now God, the moment from Genesis, from Adam and Eve, he set about to do a rescue plan. And so that's why you constantly hear from the prophets, God wants to marry you. God wants to marry you. God wants to marry you. And then I'll jump from the beginning all the way to the end. The last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. Read chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. In those verses, John, the writer of the book of Revelation, is given a vision of the end. He gives a vision of the end of the world. When all of this is, 
All of this is made new. Because again, remember, all of this, at any day, in an hour, tomorrow, next week, all of this is going to be gone. And something new will be replaced. What does that look like? It's a great mystery for many of us. And verse, chapter 19, verses 1, 7 through 10, John is given a vision of what it will look like. And guess what happens in the end? A wedding feast. John is given a wedding banquet. That, that's what the closest thing to heaven's like. We have a parishioner in, in Portola yesterday after Mass that came up to me. They just moved here a couple months ago. And he is an owner of a winery just outside of Roseville. And he came up to me and says, Father, do you know how many bottles of wine Jesus made at the wedding feast? He calculated because he knows. He knows measurements and he knows the wine business. To give you an idea of what Jesus did in the gospel, Jesus made, according to our person yesterday, he made over 900 bottles of wine. 900 of the best wine you could ever imagine. 900 bottles of wine. This super abundance, this flowing, this wedding banquet which Christ wants to bestow upon humanity. And so it leads us to the question, okay, God wants to marry you and I. What is it about weddings? In particular, about the beauty of married love. Mike and Pam, how long have you been married? Almost 50 years. 50 years. I want you to go back in the time, <laughs> all those many decades ago, when you first began to date, and then all you married couples in here, all those who are dating somebody, think back now when you were dating. I bet you both put up your best front when you first started to get to know each other. Because we all do that, don't we? Because I'm telling you, every single human being, every single one of us, whether we're single, married or not, or whatever or our vocation in life, we all desire love. Every single one of us. We all want to, to be loved and to love someone. We all want to be desired. And so we have this whole dating process. And then what do we do in the first time when we first got to know, know each other? We put up our best fronts. And then as the relationship deepens, and God willing, if, if of course, Mike and you, you guys got married. What happened now as you got married and your relationship began to unfold? Those fronts, those facades we put up, began to come down. Because it's hard to hide when you live with somebody. Mike, if I were to ask you, can you write a list of everything that irritates you about Pam? <laughs> sure could. You could give me five pages of everything that bugs you about her. And same thing, if I had to ask you, Pam, what, is, what are the qualities and behaviors and idiosyncrasies of Mike? I want you to write them down that just infuriate you. You can probably give me 10 pages of everything that irritates you about him. Why? What is that about each other? Because in married love now, at its best, it brings out all of our faults and our failings. There is a brutal honesty in married love. That just unfolds. Now notice this now. Going back to our Lord. 
if he, if he wants to marry humanity, there's a quality of brutal honesty that must happen. Because let's think about this as well. Part of, of married love, there's a fear in it. We all have this fear, by the way. Because I want you to, to love me and to desire me, I'm fearful that if I show too much, you'll reject me. If I'm too honest with you, if, if I continue, and people do this, we're very good at this, by the way, of putting up these fronts with one another, of pretending that we're, we're amazing. But then that begins to unravel the more we live with one another. If I reveal to you all of my faults and my failings, will you still love me? Will you still love me? This is why I absolutely love the sacrament of confession, by the way. I love confession. And when you live the confession well, this is what, this is what happens. I kneel before the priest who has been given authority by Jesus Christ himself to hear the sins of his people. And I'll kneel there. In fact, after, you know, we have a little potluck today after Mass. After Mass, or after the potluck, I'll drown it down in Sacramento. I'll visit my, my parents. I haven't seen them in over a month now. So I gotta I miss my mom and my dad. I miss my little dog, you know. <laughs> I miss my sister, so I gotta hang out with them. And part of my routine when I go to Sacramento, I will call my brother priest who lives just down, down the road from my parents. And I will ask him if I can go to confession to him. And what I'll do there is that I'll kneel before him and I will lay out all of my filth, my failings to him. You see, there will be a fear there because every time I, I plan to go to confession, guess who's always with me? What is the voice? Don't go to confession. Don't, don't, don't reveal that part of your life to him. You should feel ashamed of yourself. Because what is the other temptation? Again, this harkens all the way back to Genesis. Remember, after Adam and Eve fell, what was the first thing they did? They made fig leaves, they covered themselves, and then when they heard God moving through the garden, they hid from him. What is that? Because part of original sin, one of the effects that happened to us, is that it caused tremendous shame. And whenever there is shame, we hide. And this is what makes married love an adventure and the hardest thing you could probably ever endure in your life. Because there's always a battle every single day of hiding and revealing and that brutal honesty. I will lay, I will kneel down before the, my brother priest. Because every temptation and that voice keeps telling me, do not go to confession, do not go to him. Deal with it yourself. You ever heard that lie before? Or how about this lie that the devil whispers in our ears? It's not that bad, what you did. It's not a big deal. Handle it yourself. You ever heard that one before? You don't need God to forgive your sins. Ah, but you must push through those voices. 
And then I will kneel down before my brother priests. And I'll give him that list of filth. And then there will be another fear inside of me that will say, God, will you still love me? Even though I've done all of this? Will you still love me if I reveal to you the depths and the shame of my life to you? Will you still accept me? What do you think our God will say to us when we do that? What do you think our Father in heaven will say to you and I when we kneel before him in utter humility, in brutal honesty, our God who has desired to marry us? You know what he'll say to us? And I'll end here. And then to read to you again what our Father will say to us every time we go to him in the sacrament of confession. No more shall my people be called forsaken or your land desolate. But you shall be called my delight and your land espoused. For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall God rejoice in you. Now do you see why Jesus performed his first public miracle at a wedding?